What is the smartest business for you to buy when building a portfolio of businesses? Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I am the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And today I'm speaking with Tim Warren, who is the CEO of the SEO firm Helium, where they have the goal to get to 100 million per year in revenue. And they work with clients like Honeywell, Watson, Premier Best and Western and a range of large companies all the way down to solo operators. And they mainly focus on SEO and SEM, search engine marketing. And Tim also acquires businesses and real estate too. And in this podcast, we specifically talk about how he acquired three businesses and three three seven-figure businesses and merged them into his primary SEO business and why he decided to buy over building or outsourcing and how he came to that conclusion, which I think is important for you guys to understand as building a portfolio and scaling a business too. We also talk about how he funded these deals and what he learned through the process of doing due diligence and the process of acquiring these deals and some of the lessons that he would make sure he would do next time in terms of how he's going to structure the deal and how he, you know, talks to sellers and you know, I share a lot about acquiring businesses above that 500k range and what you should be focusing on. And this isn't just on businesses over the 500k range, but how to focus on relationships uh, and how valuable they are, and what you should be doing throughout the deal, um, and how you can set up a really good win-win for everybody in a part of the deal. In this podcast, we also talk about using AI for SEO tasks and what tasks you can use AI for and which ones you shouldn't use AI for. And we talk about the difference between going fast, going wide and going in depth with content and what you should choose for each different type of business or niche and why. So initially I got Tim on to talk about SEO and AI uh, and we just ended up talking about acquisitions and merging businesses into one another and the scale of growth that you can get from doing so and then we touch on the AI and SEO towards the end of the podcast episode. Now, this is such a valuable episode. I know you guys are going to absolutely love it. If you are wanting to buy a business, make sure you don't go away and just do it all on your own. Reach out for help. If you want my framework, my DD framework, you can go away and get that at buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash free resources. But for now, let's dive into the show. Do you have a website you might want to sell either now or in the future? We have a hungry list of cashed up and trained up buyers that want to buy your content website. If you have a site making over $300 per month and want to sell it, head to buyingonlinebusinesses.co forward slash sell your business or email us at info at buyingonlinebusinesses.com because we will likely have a buyer. Details are in the description. Ready to go? I'm ready, man. Cool. All right. Just for the editor, we'll start now. And hey, Tim, welcome to the pod. Hey, Jared. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I want to get you on and talk about some cool AI stuff, machine learning, SEM, SEO, all that sort of stuff and and how it's all evolving and what we can do as blog owners, content site owners and you know business owners in the online space. But you mentioned you've had some acquisitions and you've done some acquisitions. I'd love to dive into those. Yeah. So... Um... Uh, I run a company called Helium. We've got about 50, 60 employees um, spread out across the U.S. We're, we're in the U.S., but we do work globally. And we have done three acquisitions so far at the company. Um, over, um, let's see, we started in 2018. Um, so we've done three acquisitions spread out over about um, five years. Cool. And why? What? Like, why did you? Why did you acquire businesses? Like, I, I feel like I know, but. Uh... Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to just people to start thinking about like a portfolio of businesses and how to do strategic acquisitions. And I'm I'm sure that was your sort of goal. Yeah, totally. So when uh, there's multiple ways to grow as a company, but there are there are kind of two main ideas, right? Organic growth, inorganic growth. Mm-hmm. So with organic growth, which we have a sales team, we do marketing. You know, we we uh, doubled. So we were on the Inc. Five Thousand. We were number forty eight fastest growing agency, marketing agency um, in the US last year. So in the top 50. Congrats. So we do, we do sales and, and we're all about sales and getting out in front of your customer, you know, cold emails, cold phone, get in front of people. But organic growth can only do so much, Jared. Mm. You know, there's just 
only so fast you can grow. And if people watching the podcast, listen, listen to the podcast, will will know. I mean, there's just, if you're a small company and you're a startup, you haven't taken a bunch of capital, there's just only so much you can do and so fast you can grow. And so inorganic growth or acquisitions are, are kind of the steroids in business. It's how companies get very big, very quickly. Um, you need capitalization, so you need a way to fund it. And that's a whole other story. I can tell you what we did and, and how we did it. But if you can get the funding to do acquisitions and there's creative ways to fund it, um, you can grow absolutely faster than you can grow organically uh, because organic growth is slow. It takes a lot of time to find and win new clients, mm. but you can go buy a business that already has a bunch of clients, right? Get that thing under the, and so, I mean, for example, so three acquisitions, um, one of them was we wanted to offer a new service line. So we wanted to offer website you know, design and, and development. We didn't do that internally. And so in business, you have three options anytime you want to do a new thing. You can build it, you can outsource it, or you can buy it, right? And so in this case, we said, well, do we want to build a whole creative team? Not really. I don't know that space. I don't know creative directors. Like, I don't really know enough about that. So if I built it, I probably wouldn't build it that well. Because I'm an SEO guy, right? I'm an SEO and SEM guy. That's what I know. I don't really know website design as much. I know how it works, but I'm not a designer. And so then we said, well, can we outsource it? We can. Um, but at the end of the day, we're like, let's just buy it. Uh, so we did an acquisition of a, of a small creative team and, and <laughs> brought them in and, and rebranded them, Helium Interactive. Um, and it's a great acquisition, right? It, you know, it's more of an aqua hire. Um, but then in uh, 2020, um, in October 2020, we bought about a three and uh, two and a half million dollar um, automotive agency that did SEO and SEM for automotive dealerships. Hmm. We bought them because we, you know, Helium at the time, we had no automotive clients, but we kept trying to break into automotive and sell to car dealerships. But car dealerships will only work with agencies who only do car dealerships. It's like this, they have this thing about it where it's like they won't work with anyone unless you only do automotive. And so because we didn't only do automotive, we couldn't get those clients. But there's 18,000 car dealerships. And as a group, car dealerships spend the largest amount of money, disposable in income on marketing of any other group in the US. Really? So these guys are just throwing money. Oh, yeah, throwing money at marketing. All kinds of tools, left and right, conquest campaigns and email and social and SEO and website and gadgets and gizmos and Good new on. shiny thing. We're like, we got to get into this, man. Like we do SEO and SEM. So we bought that agency and it was not just a way for us to, you know, the first one was a way for us to add a new uh, service line with a, with, with venture, with, with venture automotive, it was literally a way for us to add an entire division, a whole, co a whole company that allowed us to not only have a service to, to automotive dealers, but also it allowed us to, to massively grow the business. So that year we went from, you know, 4 million to 8 million in revenue because we, we grew two and a half million organically or two million organically and we grew a couple two and a half million via acquisition, we doubled the company, but we wouldn't have doubled if we didn't do an acquisition that year. Yeah, to get that to get that fifty percent growth from four mil to eight mil rev, uh, what I have seen in my own businesses and working with a lot of other people scaling <clears throat> is you get to a certain point in spend in ads or even you know, content uh, and media that right. you don't your ROR starts to diminish after a certain point. And so then you have to play the patience and waiting game and just scale back to that point where you're getting maximum ROI for money spent on content, media and ads or an SEO. And then you have to just play the patience game. Whereas a lot of acquisitions and people that want to grow their business are taking that part of their marketing budget that's not getting the best ROI and going, all right, what businesses are adjacent and parallel that I can bolt into this business to make it a conglomerate, right? And that's kind of what you've done. That's right. And you are doing. Yeah, and it's, no, sorry, what was that? And you are doing. I'm sure you probably bought more as, as, you, as, you, as you wish to grow. That's right. That's exactly what we're doing. And so for us, we set the goal when we started Helium, we set the goal of 100 million in, in, in revenue by 2028. And so that was 10 years out. And we said, we want to do this without any you know, VC funding, without taking venture capital funding. How do we get there and how do we do it? And so really that's been our goal is, is to become that conglomerate. And so you know, I always tell people, the, the smaller you are, the less you should offer, right? The more niche you should be. When you're really, really small, you should be hyper-focused. 
right? So at first when we started, it was like just SEO, no SEM, no website. It was just month to month SEO, thousand bucks a month, only in Cincinnati, basically, right? It was just like really small offering. And then you grow and you offer more and you offer more. Eventually, you know, Jared, as we grow, I want to be able to, to offer social media and email and, and all the different services under one conglomerate, which will probably be acquisitions, right? We'll probably buy those companies as we, as we get bigger. And then we'll be able to offer those services to existing clients and new tech stack and all that stuff. Um, but you just continue to, to bolt on uh, because at the end of the day, then you own the relationship with the client and then you bolt on all the other services they want to buy from you. You keep that relationship and then you have four or five or six service lines to the same companies. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and let us know if you need contacts for good email marketing businesses. I know quite a few good ones and yeah. other 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 ones as well. Like I'm I'm not a lot of people in this space that either own great businesses and may sell or, or do want to sell. Um, so that's really really cool. Now let's talk about the funding, I guess. I'll, yeah. So we'll talk about some funding and then let's talk about due diligence and you know how you went about it. Uh, so yeah, what? So did you just save up some marketing budget or did you? You know, how did you get the creative financing for this? Yeah, so uh, good question. Um, so the deal we did, uh, you know, it was um, the deal was it was multi-million. Um, you know, we well, I guess I'll, I'll kind of start at the top. So from a valuation standpoint, um, we came up with the valuation model, which we recommend um, anyone listening to the podcast do the same thing. You know, you can do a multiple of EBITDA. Um, we did a unique one, which my CEO coach recommended, which is we paid an average of five times EBITDA and one times revenue. So whatever the average of those two numbers were. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have a million dollar business and your EBITDA is 200 grand, right? Then that would be million top line plus five times EBITDA, which would be a million divided by two equals 1 million. So the value would be a million. And the reason we did it that way, Jared, is that if a company is a low EBITDA, but they're very large and they're growing, that should, that should add some value because of their size. Um, or if they're very small, but they're very profitable, that adds a multiplier, right? Because you're multiplying by EBITDA. Um, but it takes both into consideration. And so you, you, don't, you don't end up with a business that's like, well, we're 10 million top line, so we want a 10 multiple. We're like, no, it's still a five multiple of EBITDA, right? But hey, you're 10 million, so it's going to be factored in, right? Um, so that's kind of the first step. Then the second thing we did is when you're looking to fund these deals, don't talk to a giant bank. Like, don't don't go to you know U.S. Bank of America, U.S. Bank. <laughs> don't go to the really big banks. Yeah. They're too big. And they're not going to work with small companies. Um, they're not going to work with you if they do SBA deals, but they're not going to lend smaller deals. So I, I recommend uh, pick a a, a regional bank. Um, you know that has maybe twenty locations, 15, 20 locations, to the point where you can actually golf or or you know sit down with the bank president you could actually get to someone who has like a pretty high level of authority mm-hmm. that you're never going to get to with those giant banks mm-hmm. because they, they're going to work with smaller companies. They're going to work with you on, on a much more like relational level versus a U.S. bank who's like, they aren't going to lend to your SBA deal. Like, this is just, it's just too hard to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing is we use an SBA loan. And so the way we did the deal is, you know, it was a multi-million dollar deal. And then we, we put down 10% cash. Um, you know, which we just saved up from our own, you know, EBIT of our own profit. Uh, we put down 10% cash. The seller had a 10% carry back or 10% seller note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the bank financed 80%. Um, and so we did an SBA 7A deal. And the SBA 7A deal, uh, the benefit is the guy got 90% at closing. Um, and then, um, you know, it was a 10-year amortization because of 7A loan. Um, we couldn't pay on his note for two years. And then, you know, we're paying on his note for eight years. Um, so it ends up being a pretty good deal for him. You know, um, there's pros and cons to to uh, to doing it that way. The pro of using SBA is it's a 10-year amortization, which keeps the cost low. Um, it is not a fixed rate, though. It's a, it's, a, it's a floating rate. So in the last, like, 12 months, our rates doubled, you know, because rates gone up so much. So it went from 5.5% to 10. Yeah. So that can happen. So when you do these deals, make sure you're not on a razor-thin margin yeah. because, the, the the interest rate can go up. Um, the downside of doing an SBA deal, though, Jared, if you're in the U.S. and and uh, I don't I don't think you can do SBA outside the U.S. You can't. But I, I help a lot of people with you can. SBA. Yeah, well, it's oh no, it's small business administration in America. It's a, it's an American government thing. Um, it's not. Yeah, for but for people outside outside the states, there's other ways that you can fund. Um, this is oh my, sweet. This is my bread and butter. Like this is like everything you're. 
completely talking about is like everything that I teach. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, but like I'm just talking US then because I know that one. Yeah, but most SBA people, is most a good listening thing. are from from the states as well. So, oh, sweet. Yeah. So one downside, just be aware of this for you guys. One big downside of using the SBA is they require you to buy a hundred percent of the business. And the owner has to leave within a year mm. and they can't stay he, he or she can't stay on as, as a uh, employee. They have to be a consultant and you can renew their consulting agreement. Now there's ways around all this stuff and SBA is a point compliance, which means they only check your compliance at the time you close the loan. They never check it ever again. Um, so they'll never come back a year later and to see if that owner is actually out of the business. But you, these are just things you got to be aware of. So, there's the downside of doing an SBA deal is there's limitations. So if you want to come in and say, hey, I'm going to buy 50% of your business and then we're going to do an earn. Nope, can't do that. Can't do earnouts. They don't let you do that either. Mm. So there's some limitations. And, and I will say um, for anybody watching who's done an agency deal, um, in the future, uh, from what I learned from buying this business, I didn't do an earnout and I should have. Uh, we just paid the, the amount and it was up to us to deal with it. But if you're going to buy a business, let's say sub seven and a half million sub 10 million the owner's relationships are very crucial to the health of that business they just are the owner is going to have they're going to be a magic to some level so i would probably do it on an earn out and teach people that the relationship that you have the relationships that you build in the deal are more valuable than the deal itself uh and Mm. coming to your point on sba under the five mil range ish, it's tricky because people want to settle uh, the sale faster, especially if they're buying these businesses through brokerages. Um, they don't want to deal; they'd rather cash. Uh, they'd rather sell somebody with cash rather than go for like a one to two month, you know, stuff around with SBA and all the things that are involved with it. It does slow the yep. slow the sale down, but obviously, not using your own money. <laughs> is 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 probably the best way to go yeah if you can yeah man i got a lot of i got a lot of thoughts on that um so there was a there's an seo company in texas i won't give the name but um you know she was she was looking to sell and we had all these conversations and she was open to an earnout, and we met through a broker uh because i was looking to buy more businesses mm. and kind of as we're going through the process um you know i just gave her some advice because she ultimately decided not to sell her business um, and then decide to sell it later. Whole story um, that can happen with sellers. They can back out. Selling it, you got to understand. Selling a business is a very emotional thing. Yes. Um, you put a lot of you put a lot of time and energy into this thing, and so sellers are going to be very emotional. It's something that they they it, like a lot of your your self image as a business owner is tied into your business, and so people can even get to the finish line and say like, "What am I going to do with my time now?" Okay, oh, yeah, never mind. I'm, I'm backing out. Mm. So. I mean, even even that deal that I did in 2020 blew up like a week before we're supposed to close. The guy got cold feet and backed out and killed the deal. Um, and and then you know he he had a whole weekend to think about it. You know, sits down, goes to church on Sunday, and he's like, "I made a mistake." And he emails me on Monday morning. He's like, "Sorry, I made a mistake. I won't back in." And I was like, "Dude, we can't keep doing this. Like, we can't. You know, we can't deals on, deals off, deals on. Like, you know, uh, this can't be friends and like you know dating. You know, are we on a break? What's going on here? Like, no, we got we got to make a decision." And, uh, and, and basically, as we started talking, he said, he said, well, my attorney convinced me that you guys were going to buy me and, and then sue me and not pay out all the stuff. Oh. And, you know, I was like, what? what but his attorney on the other side of the deal was yeah. convincing him and trying, he was trying to stretch out the, the negotiations as long as possible to get a bigger fee. Right. Isn't that disgusting? Isn't that absolutely disgusting? And it's like, dude, cause I, cause I came to the table, Jared, and I already had the purchase agreements done. I had all the elections. Here's a 338 H10. Here's how we should do this. Here's what's best for you. Here's all, like I had everything ready to go. And so I had a very clear, if we follow boom, 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 we'll be deals done. We spend the least amount on attorneys. We get this thing done. It was so simple. But his attorney, I don't know if he just hated that I already had it ready and he didn't want that or he didn't trust me or something, but his attorney just, you know, completely torpedoed the deal. This is um, why you I'll- need the best people on your team. Um, it's a team job. It's teamwork. And it, oh yeah, absolutely. People, it's a people job, and you need the best people on your team to to make these deals run smoothly. Um, and being really good at building relationships and understanding people and being a great human being—that's what gets deals done, right? And and putting those right people on the team. 
Man, and I'll, I'll tell you something I learned from my CEO coach, which I think your listeners are going to appreciate. Because the team that I typically do with the deals is myself as the like deal negotiator. I've got an accountant and I've got an attorney, mm. right? But then I pre ahead of time before I ever even look at the deal, I've coached my accountant. I'm only going to bring you in once the deal's totally negotiated because I just want you to paper over the, the tax details. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to pay your fee to sit in all the meetings and then the guy backs out. Right. Same with my attorney. I'm only going to bring you in at the very end when we've decided what's going to happen. So I don't have to pay your fee the whole way and the guy backs out. And so I, uh, I heard this, but I want to pass it along, which is the best way to do a, a deal, a, a sale of a business or buying a business is you take the guy to lunch or dinner and, and you say, look, you and I are going to argue this out and we're going to, we're going to discuss it out. And then we're going to decide together mm. what it is. Mm. And then we're going to give that to the attorneys to paper it over. But we're not going to bring the, the attorneys in and we all sit and argue through this meeting after meeting because we rack up a ton of fees. Yes. And then you have four opinions and nothing can ever freaking get done <laughs> versus you're the guy selling. I'm the guy buying. Let's come to an agreement and shake hands. And then we tell our attorneys what to paper over. Mm-hmm. Don't make any changes. We've already decided. And that's, that's how, how, you know, the deal should have happened. And once we did it that way, deal happened without a hitch and everybody was super happy. Yeah. I love it. I love it because you sit like the most important thing at the end of the day is it should like you're the decision maker if you're going to purchase and they're the decision maker if they're going to sell, but then you get the right. other people on your shoulder that can be influential based on, on their own in this case for that attorney on his side based on their own agenda unfortunately before yep. you so getting and i don't know if it needs to be an like an argument but to say hey how what what would a successful exit look like for you this is what i like to tell people is like speak to this person who's selling the business and say why are you selling what will be a huge win for you how would you like to receive funds like what would a successful exit for you look like and then as you as the person who's acquiring go away become creative with financing and deal terms and structure on how you're going to purchase it and then present that to them and say this is what you asked for this is what you want will be successful how about we do it in this way which would allow me to win and for you to win and let's get right the structure the terms all that sort of stuff settled agreed upon and then let's bring in uh, final phases of due diligence, basically with your attorney uh, and your CPA. Jared, how, how do you feel about, do you recommend to your buyers, do you recommend they do due diligence themselves to learn all the things about the business or do you have them bring in external people and pay for due diligence? It it depends. It depends on the size of the business and it also depends on the individual. A lot of people that are buying businesses sub 500K they're going to be mostly operators and then also hiring people in and working with those people that are going to be operators. So I think it's really damn valuable for them to understand how the business works and to look at multiple businesses and do due diligence on multiple businesses in that price range that they're looking for to be able to understand the market, also understand that'll help them understand what the business is actually worth because they understand the market. But also by looking at so many businesses, they get an education in themselves about that type of business in what mm. what risks are, how to reduce them, and then also how to possibly grow the business because they've looked at so many of them. As you go above the 500K range, that's when you <clears throat> start to go, all right, I'm going to be an owner and I'm going to hire different parts of people to operate the business or have one operator that manages all the other people that are working in the business and that's where it's important to have someone like myself or as you know a strategic acquisition coach uh, work with you to help you understand the due diligence done by an outside service and point out risks point out opportunities and then also work with you to get the team built uh, out after the after the acquisition or how to merge it into whatever you know say your business that you purchased um you know the the automotive one how do you merge that into with some of your team if you're going to or if you're going to keep it separate as well so to answer your question is it really depends on the size of the deal uh and the motivation of 
the purchaser and in, in how much involvement they want in the business because if they do want some level of involvement and they want to build a portfolio and have their you know their touch and flavor sprinkled through it then it's very worth them doing dd themselves or at least understanding mm. it so yeah but above that 500k range a lot of people like look i, I was i was i was want to buy something for five mil i just want to buy something for 10 mil um and I, I want to know that I'm not getting taken for a ride with the due diligence service that I've used, the attorney and the CPA, and they need somebody like an outside person that's not tied to the deal, like myself, to mm-hmm. sort of point out things and and nurse them through it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, you know, for those listening, I did due diligence on all three of the deals. We've done a helium, um, but at the same time, I I been in business long enough where I could do them myself. And I also was buying in areas where I knew what I was doing. Correct. Right. If, if I was going to go buy a manufacturing company, I'm not going to do the due diligence myself because I don't know that space. Yeah. Um, but if I'm buying an agency, I, I know how to look for the, the buried bodies and, you know, I know what doors to, to open and ask and mm. let's, let's look in there. Um, right. Because I know the space and that's, that's, I think your advice is really spot on. I think size does matter too. Cause when something's pretty small, if it's five, you know, sub 500 K, like it's small enough where there's not a lot of due diligence to do, right. There's just not a lot of revenue. So there's not a ton in there, but as you get into the multi-millions and above, there becomes more things to understand financially and due diligence matters, but also making sure you really know what questions to ask. Um, that, that would be my two cents. Spot on. That last thing you said is knowing what questions to ask is the most important thing because it's like what Tony Robbins says, is the quality quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you have. And also uh, that's the quality of the bit, like the quality of the businesses that you have uh, is determined by the quality of questions you ask. The business that you already own, I'm talking about, but the business that you purchase, the quality of the business you purchase will be determined by how quality the questions are that you ask by understanding, oh, hey, you know, what's this risk? For example, there's a deal that we're working on at the moment with somebody uh, and they're getting a portion of traffic is from direct traffic and it's 36%, right? And the rest is, you know, organic and some others, but 36% is like the lion's share. And I'm like, cool, that's direct traffic. But what is that direct traffic? Like, is it just coming straight, yeah. from, is it coming straight from people's sites? And it's 36%, so it's hard to believe it is. You need to, and they were ready to buy the deal, right? They were sold on it because, um, one of the persons that's going to operate the business is in that niche and in that field. And like, I could just grow this thing like a monster. Right. And she could, which is great. But I, I had to slow them down and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, have you even seen that 30% of this traffic is direct and you don't even know what that means. And if, and if you'd lost all that direct traffic afterwards, say for example, the person who owned uh, the business might own a Twitter account a Facebook account and a YouTube account that is linked. That's like, looks like it's direct traffic in Google analytics and it's going to, but they're not coming along with a deal. Imagine how much right. risk that would be. Right. And they just turn that off and they'd redirect it to their new site that they've, you know, they're going to work on once they've sold it. Like if you don't understand that and you don't know how to look for that, you're cooked. Like you're, you're going to be in trouble risk. Yeah. So you need to have, yeah. you need, that's why I suggest point. like even for yourself, like on your next deal, uh, find somebody that's like just can comb over the DD and go, what's this? What's that? You need to understand this. Can you tell me more about that? And if you don't know, I understand it, then you need to go and find out more about it sort of thing. Especially the the direct traffic piece you're talking about, because mm. I mean, in, in recent iterations of Google analytics, if Google doesn't know how to qualify traffic, it just puts it into direct traffic. Yeah. So, I mean, that could even be organic traffic that is coming from who knows where that's not being tagged correctly that could be UTM tag failures. I mean, that could be a bunch of stuff. Um, and so to your point, it's really important that you figure out what that is. Mm. Because if if that is from, if those are from sources that are just properly, in, you know, incorrectly pixeled, and that stuff goes away tomorrow, that's bad. Um, you know, that's A. B, to your point, if, if you don't really know what that direct traffic is, you know, and, that, and that's somebody literally bookmarking and going to the browser and punching this thing in, like, that's amazing. But that's probably unlikely, um, you know, to be that high. So what do you, yeah, it's like, what do you not know that's going to wreck this deal? Um, which which can actually be a good question to ask yourself, which is doing a postmortem before you buy the deal. Mm-hmm. 
what would happen that would cause this business to fail? Worst case scenario, yeah. Yep. And then you ask those questions to yourself and then it's coming up with, and that's kind of back to my point on the on the um, earnout. What I should have done a better job, you know, and, and and buying the venture deal has been great. And we got, you know, for the first three years, we got like 100% cash on cash return. It was, it was very nice. But I will say that I, looking back on it, I would have done an earn out. And the reason I would have done an earn out is because at some point, you know, that, that owner's going to leave and, and he used to stay with us for about three years, you know, almost three years. Um, but once he left, then we started losing some relationships where the clients were like, well, we were here because of that guy, mm-hmm. you know, who started the company and, you know, he's leaving. So now we're going to leave. We knew that would happen at some point, but then for us, it was how much do we put in? Like what churn should we expect of agency clients when he leaves? So, you know, we, we expected like, you know, 10 or 20%, right? But maybe it was 25 or 30. So we probably should have done a better job of what if it's 35%, what would that do? Okay. This, hey man, this is why we need an earnout because, Hey, it's probably only going to be 10, but if it's more than that, you know, we can't pay the same amount. Um, and that, that was the mistake we learned that I should do differently next time. Yeah, and something it's it's not really a mistake because you, you learn, right? It's 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 a huge educational piece. Also with that, when you have the oh, oh, there's two parts to this that I want to mention is that when you have an earnout with them, whether you have an earnout with them or not, you could incorporate into the terms uh, that if X amount of clients were to leave because your key person dependency in the business um, that will have some contingency in play with, you know, the seller note being less, you know, mm-hmm. and it might be, there might be a sliding scale on that seller note, which is something for the, for the next deal is like, if there's, you know, some, some partnerships uh, move on because of that key person dependency, that there's be a sliding scale there um in terms of that seller note or whatever it is or the earnout um figures and, and repayments and also if you do go with earnout or seller financing you can manufacture the relationship being a lot longer and when like there's two ways to build a relationship faster really it's it's time with the person but to, to deepen that connection it's going through uh hard times together and, and something that's a pressure situation and coming out of on top and you have a lot more trust in one another when you manufacture a longer period of time frame on an earnout, is sometimes there will be storms that come through in business like the highs and the lows and that person will help you weather them together you build a stronger connection in that mm. time frame and then once they do part the deal and they don't have any work or advisory within the business or for the business anymore, you've still got this really strong relationship that you'd be like, hey, can like we just have a quick call, um, you know, half an hour mm. question or maybe even you pay them or whatever, but they're going to be more likely to do so because they like you more because you've built that relationship over time. So you, there's the, that's why I say, and it, and it has happened in the past um, with my own deals and other people's deals is that the relationship can be more valuable than the acquisition and the business you end up purchasing because they might mention something in three years' time. You're like, oh, I was wondering about this thing. Like, how did you do it this way? And what what would what would you have done if or what would you do if you were still the person running it? And they might mention something that's like, oh, like it's this massive trigger. And it just one little thing they mention might help you scale the business far easier with less work. And that's just one thing because you've focused on the relationship rather than the deal itself. No, I, I love that. Yeah, and it's and also it's making sure when you buy the right business. Um, I mean, <coughs> you probably know this, Jared, but but it's I think the number is as high as like eighty percent of acquisitions that are done fail to drive expected shareholder return, mm. not because of financial mistakes, but because of cultural misalignment between the companies. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so big, and, <laughs> and that's why people will. People that own their businesses that are selling will take lesser money to sell to the right person. That's gonna make sure that their team is looked after and the culture is, you know, stays as the same as possible. Because there's, it's really hard to measure how culture. Uh, it's really hard to measure the ROI of culture. <laughs> Super hard to measure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but and that was kind of what I was going to say on this is, well, the ROI of culture can be hard to measure, but we also know that getting culture wrong in a deal is what what kills a deal and or causes you know the return to be really really poor. Mm. But it's one of the things you talked about relationship being the key. That's why I think focusing and making sure that the culture of the two organizations can align and can connect very tightly. Mm-hmm. Because if you do a really good job buying a business where the people of that company really fit your culture, mm. they're going to be people you like and you enjoy and you, there's rapport and there's respect, which means the relationships they currently have and the ideas they have are probably going to be great ideas for you. They're probably going to fit. Mm. Um, but if you buy a company where the culture is, you know, maybe they're profitable, but the culture doesn't fully align and, and you know, they're fully remote and you're fully in office or mm. they're in a different country and there's just kind of cultural differences. You don't fully understand each other and whatever. Then the ideas they bring and the relationships they bring, you're less likely to get value from um, because you, you, you guys don't connect that well mm. versus, you know, a business, even if it's smaller, if you connect super well, you know, some of the things that they bring to the table might be the missing piece that you needed. That's like, oh, right. And, you know, sparks this idea that, that was like, you know, two two parts of the candle, you put them together and boom, you got flame, right? Um, so, and, and, and that's the missing piece. Yeah, it's like you said, like you related this to like uh, earlier, uh, a relationship of like backwards and forwards. Are we on? Are we off? Is it going to work? And yeah, I really think it's similar to that when if you're conscious about how you date and you want to find somebody that's amazing, why not start with your values and and work out, all right, what what are your values as a human being and what are my values and are they aligned? And you repeat that in an acquisition as well. When you sit down, like, let's go to lunch, mate. Let's this is I just want to learn about your business. I want to learn what you want to do. What's a successful exit look like you look like for you? But what are the values that you have personally and then what are the values that your business have and are they aligned because that can that can be more important than the deal itself as well i'm so glad you yeah that's super true and and the deal uh, you know this is an example but when we did the automotive deal um you know i uh before we bought that company so i did the outreach myself um so I, i knew i wanted to buy an automotive agency but i well, it wasn't just automotive. I was looking in different verticals. So I went to Zoom Info and I built a list of like, you know, 500 agencies of the right size. So, you know, maybe 5 million and under mm. president, CEO or owner title. Uh, and, I, and I did a four drip email campaign to them that basically said, hey, are you open to a partnership or more? Mm. Right. Um, and I think from there, I booked like 50 Zoom meetings, um, which doing 50 Zoom meetings in and of itself is like, <laughs> by the end, you're like, I don't want to buy anything anymore. I just want to be done, uh, you know, because I had so many Zoom meetings. But I remember talking and I met some great people through the process. And I met some people that it was not worth the time. Like I talked to one owner and he was like, well, I think we're worth about 5 million. And I was like, well, what's your guys EBITDA? He's like, well, we're losing 50 grand a month right now, Whoa. but you know, it's going to turn around. I'm like, well, but how do you get to the $5 million valuation? You're losing 50 grand a month. Like, well, I mean, you know, he went on some little tirade that didn't make any sense. I was like, but because as of right now, if you looked at a 12 multiple, you know, 10 multiple of your EBITDA, like you would pay me to buy the business, mm-hmm. right? Like you'd have to pay me, you know, $6 million or whatever. Um, so <laughs> obviously we're like, you know, he's like, well, you know, I think it's worth this. I'm like, well, let's agree to disagree. Well, you know, it's, let's follow up and get it a few years, right? And it's like, so funny yeah. when there's somebody that you go, oh, I'd, I'd be, you know, because we do some outreach on, on purchasing business as well. It's like, Oh, yeah. I might be interested in buying a business and they get this thing like, Oh, I would sell it for a cartwheel price. Great. And then like they've got that price in their head and then they're like, okay, um, I want to sell my business. Let's have a chat to the person. What do they need to know about the business to sell it? First and foremost, having all these things sorted out, like your finances and understanding like how your business operates and all the metrics need to be tracked. You need that they need to be presentable. And then once they start to go, oh, uh, we, you know, this person may have realized we're losing 50K a month. Okay, okay, wow, that's that's a thing, but they might not go back on the price that they have like psychologically told themselves that they would sell it for because that's what they believed the business is worth based on right. them not understanding the business as well as they maybe should have as an owner. No offense to people that own a business. Like, there's a lot of things in our businesses that we're like, there's so many things going on, so it's hard to know. It's hard to be act up top, across everything like absolutely perfectly, but uh, that's just a human thing, right? We, we get in the way of our businesses. So, 
Yes. Yeah. When you're, uh, what I would say on that, Jared is, is, uh, and I'll, this is the story of talking to 50, 50 companies and, and, and ended up buying one. And the one that I bought, um, he, you know, initially he didn't want to meet, but he called me back because when I left in the email, the voicemail or, you know, whatever the email, whatever he was like, I get a bunch of these outreaches and I don't take them seriously. But, but he said, he's like, I went to your site. I looked you up. I looked you up at your company. I looked up your glass door, looked up your culture. And you looked like a company that matched our culture. You match, mm. you match our values. Mm. Right. So I want to connect that because he said, you guys are all about transparency when it comes to SEO and SEM and how many links are you building and what's the actual cost and how, how many, what, you know, what's my adverse management fee? What do I get for that? We you know billing for clients. And so a big thing with venture was in the automotive industry, um, a lot of companies just mail their check to the auto broker or to the auto um, agency and the agency doesn't disclose management fees, right? <laughs> so if you don't, so imagine this, right, Jared, if you had a company spending 10 grand a month or, or spending 10 grand a month on AdWords and they mailed you 10 grand and you said, okay, Jared, you're going to run the ads for me and take your management fee, right? Imagine if there was no transparency there, like zero oversight. I just mailed you 10 grand every month. Guess how many companies over time would start to uh, eat away at some of those dollars and maybe we need to increase our management fee and maybe this or whatever. So what's happened in the auto space is uh, they most of these big companies like the dealer.com and these guys, they don't disclose their fees. And so when the client pays them the, the 10 grand for advertising, they're like, well, we'll pay your ad spend. They don't disclose the fees. And so oftentimes when we go in and we'll say, well, how much of your 10 grand is actually going to ads? I'm not sure. Oh, you don't know? No, we don't know. They don't disclose it. Well, let's find out. And so then we find out and it turns out like, you know, yeah, it's like four or $5,000 of the fee is going to ads. The rest of it's all management fees, 50%. And so we're, we're our, you know, one of the unique things with Helium, as we said, there's, it's all transparent. Like we have a dashboard that shows you all the links. And when you, you pay us, you pay us for our fee, you pay Google and Facebook and LinkedIn directly. You pay, you pay them. Don't, you don't pay that to us. Because we want you to know where every single ad dollar is going. It's mm. not going to Helium. It's going to the platform. Mm. And in the automotive space, that was like groundbreaking. That's a, that's like a groundbreaking thing. So the culture of our organization, which is total transparency, high deliverables, and high service, matched the culture of venture, which is this thing they're pushing, which is you know dealers actually knowing how much they're spending on ads and not getting screwed. And so those cultural alignments are really important and getting that part right. Because once we realized that it was like, oh my gosh, I like this guy. Like this guy's great. We believe in the same thing, right? It's so, that's a really good example. It's kind of like um, <clears throat> similar. It could be similar to dating is like, oh, um, you know, trust, you, you need to have trust. And say, for example, you're, you're dating somebody and they're like, all right, so, you know, what did you do the whole weekend? You said, oh, I just went and caught up with my mum. You're like, okay, you caught up for the two hours. What do you do spending the rest of the time? Like, oh, I just, you know, mostly just hanging out with my mum. Well, like, okay, but if, and, and, and who cares what you did do, right? As long as you just tell the person that you're like, yeah, this is what I did. I went for a surf, I went for a run, hung out with some friends, went to dinner, Blood of all that sort of stuff, just being transparent. But they're going to be like, this guy is like hiding something. Yeah. Why, why right. would, and the same with the, the ad spend. Like, what are, what, what are you hiding? And that's where you win is by being completely transparent and just being like straight up. So, yeah, good on you. That's, that's a really good value to have in business. Now, Tim, this has been such a fun conversation and we haven't even scratched the surface on what I got you to come here for um, talking about uh, SEO and how it's going to evolve. And let's, let's dive into that unless you have anything to add to the acquisitions. No, no. Uh, for time, man, let's, let's dive into some SEO. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's jump into that. So with SEO, it's changing a lot with AI, it's changing a lot and machine learning and, I know that you guys are doing some pretty cool things in, in trying to use AI to help you make your processes and SOPs better and uh, automate certain oh, yeah. parts of SEO. So what? So where can people start using AI to automate some SEO tasks? And what will those tasks be first? And then what SEO, what, which way would you do it with the AI? Or it's machine learning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot here. And <laughs> um, if anybody... If anyone listening um, is is wants to really go down this rabbit hole, so I'm speaking at SMX. Um, if you guys in SMX is the Search Marketing Expo, so it's the trade show put on by Third Door Media, Search Engine Land, Search Engine Journal. Um, that's on June 13th and 14th. So 
you know, it's free to attend. I believe it's online. Is there um, a replay? Because this will come out after this. This podcast will will come out after that. So maybe uh, there should be a replay, cool. and you know, maybe in the show notes we can link them to my to the presentation, the presentation notes, and all that stuff. Yeah. If it's going to come out after. Yeah. Um, but. I, I, maybe yeah, we can edit this up to be whatever, but mm. um, I'm actually talking about AI. So my, my topic, my, my, which I've recorded my talk, but it goes live on the 13th and 14th. It is how to use entity SEO and AI to dominate SERPs in the next two years. Mm. That's the whole, whole talk. Um, but I'll give you a summary of that here for the listeners. Um, all right. So I'm going to talk about a bunch of this stuff, but I'll, but I'll kind of skip to a couple points. Great. Thanks. Um, so for AI, for, for search, um, Google is evolving to become a semantic search engine. So they no longer, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you type in roofer Cincinnati, right? Or black high heels. They try to match that exact keyword as closely to the keywords they can. A semantic search engine means that they try to match what you mean. When you search roofer Cincinnati, they assume, oh, you want a home services roofing company with the best ratings that for the best price in Cincinnati. Here's this listing that I'm going to provide to you. Either it's going to be a map listing or it's going to be a knowledge graph, right? Or it's going to be bar just answering your question to compete with OpenAI and ChatGPT. Mm. We're going to decide what you best want as a user. We're going to give you that information. That's where Google's going as a semantic search engine. So they're trying to get better and better about understanding the search topic. Um, and so why all this matters is Entity SEO, which is a big thing we're doing. If you want to learn about it, just Google what is Entity SEO, um, I read my article on search engine land about, it's about 4,000 word, you know, get a, get a glass of wine and take a bath and read that article on a Friday night. It'll, it'll be a great time, but it, it walks through what is entity SEO. And this basic idea is Google is getting away from just keyword optimized landing pages and moving towards who is creating the most authoritative content on any topic. And to have authoritative content, your site needs to look like Wikipedia or Wikidata Tons and tons of content, lots of internal links, lots of subtopics. Are you really answering all the questions around an article, a topic, an, an idea, right? Well, to do that, you have to create a lot of content. Hmm. Guess what's really good at creating lots of content? AI, right? And oftentimes for a lot of these search terms, so let's, let's say that I want to rank for SEO-related keywords for Helium, which we do. But then if you Google SEO, right, like how many subtopics and entities are there? Insane amounts. Thousands, millions probably, right? And then what if I wanted to create, you know, authoritative content on it, or I want to be the authority in SEO, I'm going to have to create thousands and thousands of articles about all of the, the SEO details and questions and the different search engines and different SERPs and how they work. I mean, let's say I just picked, you know, how to be the best SEO agency, Think about all the people also ask questions. Well, how much should I spend on an agency? What do agencies do? What are their service offerings? Should I also do SEM? Or do, what does SEM mean? What does SEO mean? Like, right, you could go thousands and thousands. So here's what we recommend, Jared, is um, break AI tools into two categories. One is, can the tool help me create content faster or wider? Because there's three ways you can focus on content mm. if you're going to do content. You can go deeper, right? deep expertise, you know, I'm going to write these super, you know, um, Google Scholar articles, 47 pages long with deep research. It's incredibly deep. AI can't do that. Okay. It's not there yet. So you can go really deep. You can go really wide is the second one. So instead of just doing SEO content, I can write about everything in the, in the area, SEO and SEM and CRO and web design and how to drive leads and funnels and top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel. And I can have content on all these topics. Okay. Or you can go faster. So what if, what if I was always the first one to have new content on every new SEO topic? I'm just, I'm fast, right? Well, AI works really well with wider and faster, but does not work well with deeper. So if your content strategy is going to be write super deep, well-written articles, authoritative articles, that's going to still be human writing. But if your strategy is wide and fast, which is what a lot of these sites are doing, AI tools are the way. Um, so we actually use a tool called NobleSEO.io. Me uh, link it in the description. But what that tool does is um, you, it does all the SEO research for any keywords. You punch in the keyword and say, "I want to rank for you know roofer Cincinnati or best you know cheap high heels under thirty bucks or whatever the keyword is." And it goes and pulls all the SERP results for the first page, does all the TF IDF, all the on-page ops, does all the research, H1 headers. And then you can use AI to write the entire article using ChatGPT 3.5 or 4.0. 
And so it does all the writing for us, which allows us to create content at a far faster rate. And so where other SEO companies are writing their content from scratch, we're producing content at 10 times the speed because we write it using AI and then we edit it with a human editor at either 10 or 20 minutes per article. And so we're pumping out, you know, 10 new articles a day, which we used to do 10 articles a month, maybe. Mm. So that's, that's what we're recommending. Per so client, you mean? That's kind of the, not through, yeah, I'm, per client. So 10 articles say, sorry, go ahead. per client, 10 articles a day. No, 10 articles a day for ourselves, okay, just okay. for our own market. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh no, for our, for our clients, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles. Okay. Um, yeah. So we're, I was talking about just for our own marketing is we're now doing 10 articles a day for ourselves for our own SEO that before we, we were doing 10 a month, maybe right. Um, using AI. What, where, where does depth come into it? Cause I, I understand speed. I understand wide for myself as a human being. Uh, and also the type of human being I am, like I love depth. Yeah. Where, where does that come into that place? Because I'm, I'm, I'm more gonna. That's where I, if I put my hand up and say, hey, I want, I want out of all of those three, like I'm biased. I want depth. I just want like I just want yeah. So where does that come into play? <clears throat> yeah, it's a good question. So um, you you have to know the business and you have to know your niche, right? So the people listening online, you have to understand who your reader is, who your, who your user is and what they want. And Google wants the same. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't want to get too technical, but it I want to try to answer it. It could be different for different types of sites and businesses. For example, a roofing company, totally. like going into depth in a, into roofing, mm, is that really a thing? But on a hobby right. on surfing, hell yeah. Like really getting into right. nitty gritty and depth is di- so I could see it be different between those different types of niches and business models, right? And even for the, so let's take the, let's take the, the one on surfing. Okay. So let's say that you have a blog on surfing and you make money on AdSense, mm-hmm. but you also, you also long-term plan to design your own surfboards and sell them through your site. So you're building out this content model, right? Mm. And it's just a long-term plan for you. Well, you're not going to get users to your site if you have AI write about what is a surfboard. Okay. That's not going to work. Okay. But you're going to get users if you write that you have the best blog on like the wax and the boards and the and and where to surf and like this this amazing content that surfers love and they start to follow right. Mm-hmm. But let's say you want to drive more traffic to your site via organic people who don't know of you who you know, aren't finding you and you need to start ranking for some higher level terms. Maybe not surfing, but maybe like best surfing blogs or best places to surf. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you want to get people in. Mm-hmm. But then you start to do some research and realize, wow, this is a really competitive SEO topic and the ads are really expensive as well too. How do I rank for this entity? Because like surfing locations as an entity in Google is really comp- is really like difficult. So now I need to, I realize if I want to rank for that, I can create my amazing article, but I'm not authoritative enough in Google for that entity unless I have two or 300 articles about all the locations you can surf in the, in, in the world. And AI would be amazing for that, that right there. So use AI to write an article about you know, all of the different surf locations, use AI to create all those pages. So here's per country, here's a map of all the places to surf and here's a thing and here's an article and all of those, whatever. People aren't gonna read those. That's the point of those is not to be read. The point of those is to produce authority in Google so they see you as an entity leader so that your amazing, super deep article is what ranks. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's also in terms of the journey of a user, they're coming for the, oh, I just want to know where to surf. And then they're staying for like, oh, they're going to help me know which surfboard I should use for that break and what sort of fins and what time of day and how to become a better surfer in general because they've got pull, pull you in with like what people think they want. It's kind of the saying of like sell them what they want, give them what they need. Yes. And use that. that that's exactly right. Use that fast fast wide approach through ai content creation with humans obviously having some quality assurance and 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 proofreading it before it goes out massive caveat and disclaimer there guys and then um and then having a few really in-depth articles that win people over that bring in that direct traffic (laughs) yeah because people still want the super deep expert Mm. in some cases but then there's times when i don't want that either because 
if I'm trying to get a quick answer on something, right? Like I'm in Australia, I want to go surfing and I pull up my phone. I'm like, best place to surf near me. I just want, I don't want to, I don't want to sit down and read your 5,000 word blog on surfing. I, I just want an answer. Yeah. Like Google, tell me, yeah. All right, give me an answer. Yeah. Like chat GPT, give me an answer. And so there, you have to think about the users too. And like the different, like content can serve different, different usages. Right. Um, and then also the other thing too, Jared, you have to think about organic is for a lot of searches, people don't want to read a whole page, right? How, like think about yourself with, with the keywords that you'll search or add to click on. Oftentimes I only want to read the top of the page and then I want to be able to take action and do something. I don't want to actually read this entire page. I want it to be curated for me. Mm. But yet if I'm reading something that's about a hobby or about a blog or about whatever, I want to read the whole page because I'm interested in the piece of content. So when, when I say the, the deeper, faster and wider, this does come down to knowing what you're trying to accomplish, knowing the type of site you have and knowing the user that comes to you and what they're looking to accomplish, mm. all that matters. Um, but where you can use AI, so let's say that even where you want to go deeper, you know, use an AI tool to help you with schema and, and, and getting your schema really right, yeah. right? Don't do that manually. Use, use an AI schema tool, right? Use an AI tool to help you with content ideas and content generate, you know, generating a bunch of content ideas and write them yourself. Fine, right? Use an AI to do your outlines and then you write them. You don't, you know, and that's why we like Noble so much is Noble will, you can actually say, no, I want to write it manually. I want to do it the hard way. Fine. No, do the outline for me and I'll write it myself. Fine. Okay. No, just do my H1s and, and my, my title for me. Okay. So you can you can scale back to however, however deep you want to go and however much you want to write it, mm. or you can have it help you with certain pieces or help you with all of it. So just, uh, you know, our pitch is, and this is a, one other thing to be aware of too. So some people have come to us and said, hey, you know, and if you don't know, Helium works, you know, works with nationwide parties like companies like Party City and, and PetSmart and Land's End and huge brands. So, you know, we we work with enterprise companies all the way down to, to smaller businesses. And so we've worked with many, many companies and we've, you know, we, we've never had a client with a penalty. Um, everything we're telling you is safe. Um, you know, it is what Google recommends. And so people have come out and say, well, should we use AI content? Are we going to, is it, is it black hat? Are we going to get our site banned? Right. Cause that's a common, you know, fear right now. Yeah. And yes, you can overdo it. Um, you know, I was talking to, to Andrew Ansley, who's our, our marketing director at Helium. He said he heard of a site that went from zero to 3 million organic visitors, like in 12 months using, using just huge amounts of AI content. Wow. And he's like, I do think they got, a, I think they got a penalty. I think yeah. they got penalized. Until it it's, not like, natural. Yeah, it's not natural, natural scale. It's, it's a bit. No, unnatural. it's too much. Yeah. But Jake Ward on Twitter came out and he showed a site that went from zero to 750,000 that had DR 51, I think. And it was in the software vertical. In they took it from zero to 750,000 in one year yeah. um, using uh, byword.ai, 7,000 articles. And I don't, to my knowledge, that one didn't get penalized. So I, I think there, you can overdo it. Um, but Google came out in, uh, if, if you, if you want a podcast, but if you Google this, uh, I think it came out in, in March, but um, developer.google.com, they came out and said their stance on AI content. So Google, you know, Google, just go to Google and type Google stance on AI content. The top ranking thing is an article. Yeah, they they, they said as long as you're creating it according to EEAT framework, right? It's helpful content. We do not care if it was human written, human, you know, edited or fully AI written as long as it is helpful to the user and falls our EEAT framework. Mm. So for those of you guys worried about using too much AI, you don't need to be worried about that. Google has said it's safe as long as the content is high quality. Yeah, and the quality at the moment is coming from human beings putting quality assurance on it. It's not from the answer is AI do everything for me and I'll publish it on my site and right and, and cross my fingers and toes. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and this is why I tell clients like use AI, use as many AI as tools as you can. It's, it's great. But I, I would say if you are, cause there are like, AI tools that will build the whole site. AI tools will write all the content. AI tools that will do everything from the ground up. That's probably black hat if you're using AI for every single part of it because AI is just not quite there yet where it can do all of those pieces really well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that. We wouldn't recommend that for any of our clients. Um, we do still recommend AI created, human edited. Um, that's our recommendation. And I would probably still not use AI if you're creative yet, although like mid journey and some of those other ones are pretty crazy mm. what they're able to do. Mm. Um, so it's getting there. Uh, but just at the end of the day, like if you think about Google's business model, make sure what you're offering 
doesn't matter whether it's AI generated, make sure what you're offering is high quality and it's valuable. And it's like, yeah, this is good. If it's good, you're probably safe. Love it. Love it. Tim, where can we send people to find out more about what you guys are doing at Helium? Yeah, just come to our website, helium-seo.com. Um, we'd love to talk to you. You know, we've got all of our content information on there too. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to come to LinkedIn, um, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, send me a, a DM, um, or just send me an email at tim at helium-seo.com. I'd love to get back to you too. Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. It's been such a fun discussion. Absolutely. Jared, thanks for having me on and uh, love the talk. We could talk all day long about it and happy to be on. Hopefully added some value. You definitely added a lot of value. Guys, thank you for listening. Please do yourself a favor and re-listen to this podcast episode. It's like when you read a book, uh, you might read it one year, come back, listen to it again, and you're going to find golden nuggets that you did not get in the first round. Also, people that are wanting to buy a business and grow up with the SEO, make sure you share this podcast episode with them. Give them the gift of giving. Yes, it helps me. Yes, it helps Tim. But most importantly, why were you doing this, Tim? To help others. So share this. That's it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you soon.